This is WGRE 91.5 FM, Greencastle, Indiana. Good evening and welcome to Music for Life, music from DePaul. In this episode with this year's opera production right around the corner, we hear from Associate Director Carrie Jennings and Music Director Orsina Smith about producing Monteverdi's The Coronation of Papea, and Anna Gadula chats with some of the cast members about the story of this opera. Hannah Gauthier interviews sophomore music student Drew Casey about his winter term experience conducting in London, and I talk with Elika Okerstrom and Stephen Lindvall about the unveiling of an exciting new website, 21cm.org, that we've developed to bring the 21st century musician ideas to the rest of the world. There are lots of exciting things going on in the DePaul School of Music, and we're glad you could join us for Music for Life. Our opera opens this Thursday at 7.30 p.m. in Moore Theater. And here to chat with me about it is one of our vocal professors and also the associate director of our opera, Carrie Jennings. Welcome. Thank you. One of the things we've been doing for the past many years is bringing in a great guest director for our opera, Joachim Schomburger. And I'm always worried about whether or not it'll fit into his schedule. And this year, it almost didn't, but thanks to your good work, Carrie, we were able to work it out. Yeah, Joachim had to jet out to Germany to direct uh, Deflator Mouse, which, of course, we did here a couple of years Mm -hmm. ago. And so it's been my pleasure to be involved in this process and watch him work. And uh, now I get to spend the next couple of weeks making sure that his vision of his production really comes to fruition. And so what is our opera this year? It's The Coronation of Popea, L'Incoronazione di Popea, by Monteverdi, which of course is a great Baroque, pre-Baroque masterpiece, and not something necessarily that... uh, young singers do often. Right. It's certainly been a challenge, but uh, a good challenge for them to have to deal with this much recitative mm-hmm. and to learn how to sing with harpsichord and continuo frequently. And uh, it's really been a wonderful learning experience. This them. is probably the earliest opera we've done. Certainly since I've been here, it uh-huh. is. And since I've been here, it's also been the only drama that's been done. Right. The last three years have been a comedy. Right. And so typically, we think of Monteverdi as the master of two practices and, and the one that kind of ushered in yeah. modern day for opera. Sure. For sure. And so how is this a different experience for our students who are used to doing the more typical romantic comedy, what do we call it? Rom-com. Rom-com, there it is, it's a rom-com. <laughs> Typically they're doing more the rom-com approach to things, but this time now we're shifting not only from that romantic comedy approach to serious drama, but we're yeah. also backing up several decades. Absolutely, and one of the challenges also with this kind of repertoire is in the stuff that they're used to doing, whether it's from Mozart and on, is that there's going to be heavy orchestration. The instruments are going to often be doubling the vocal mm-hmm. line they get no such help (laughs) in this repertoire. And so they really have to rely on their technique, their ears. I mean, everything that they're learning... And this is a cast that has freshmen all the way to seniors in mm-hmm. it. So, yeah. And it's double cast. It's so, double they cast. get a, everyone gets a chance. Now, Joachim's also kind of famous for his projections. Yeah. So, in other words, instead of building grand sets, mm-hmm. we build big open spaces that change and morph throughout the production. Will that be true here? This is a beautiful production done with projections. And people are going to be really excited to see this. I think, of course, you probably know we have a new projection system mm-hmm. in Moore Theater. And so, he's been able to do more with that as well and uh, he's done an amazing job and it's really going to be a beautiful production costumes are beautiful too thanks to caroline good 
So it's Thursday through Sunday, 7.30 on the evenings, and then Sunday afternoon at 2. Yes. And double cast, so we see one cast on Thursday night and Saturday night, right. and one on Friday night and Sunday afternoon, so you'll want to see it twice. It's a fantastic production. We can't wait for it to hit the boards, and thanks for coming in to chat about it. You're welcome. From the 1996 Archive Production CD of John Elliott Gardner's realization of Monteverdi's L'Incoronazione di Popea, here's the beginning of the opera, the Sinfonia and Prologue. Oh. <laughs> 
this is student producer Hannah Gothier, and joining me in the studio today is sophomore music student Drew Casey to talk about his winter term experience. Hello, Drew. It's a pleasure to be here, Hannah. So I hear you had a really fantastic opportunity over winter term. Can you tell us what that was? I did. I uh, traveled across the pond, the United Kingdom, to London, actually. I conducted the London Classical Players and Concerts in Beethoven 7, Beethoven 1, and Beethoven 3, his symphonies. That's amazing that you were able to do that. How did you end up getting that position? Um, it was actually a competition, a European conductor, and also it wasn't even European, it was just North Atlantic. You know, I submitted a video and an application, and they accepted me. Um, it was interesting that a vast majority of the other candidates there were either in their late 30s, or early 40s, postdoctoral <laughs> or professional. Uh, so I was definitely the youngest by a good 10 years. Wow, that's pretty impressive, actually. So you weren't the only amateur conductor there. I would say I was definitely the most amateur conductor there. The next youngest was finishing up their graduate degree in conducting performance from Berlin Conservatory. So, you know, I was definitely the big leagues, but the fact that I was even invited to play in the big leagues as a 19-year-old kid is fantastic and a great opportunity. Some of the connections I made were really stellar. That's amazing. So I know you also are one of the conductors of the DePops Orchestra. What is it like conducting an orchestra of people that you don't know? Because I know you're mostly friends with everyone in DePops, and I'm, I'm sure you were treated differently and mm. had to respond to an orchestra differently? You know, even more so than just knowing the players, I would say even bigger difference was the level of playing. I mean, obviously, the Pops is CLA and, you know, school of music conservatory level players, which are still good. But, you know, me conducting professionals, you know, with the oboe player played in the London Symphony Orchestra and had been oh. conducted by, you know, Leonard Bernstein. And, you know, some of these players are in their 70s and been playing their instrument longer than I have been alive. So it's just a very, frankly, a different sound you get from the orchestra and how you conduct the orchestra differs greatly. Um, I remember back to um, Dr. Nicole Brockman's Eurythmics course, you know, mm -hmm. dancing with the music. You yep. know, when I conduct the pops, it is very much a way to keep the orchestra together, keep in time, cue people, um, show artistic expression to an extent. But when you're conducting professionals, they've played all of the Beethoven symphonies more times than you can count. So they quite frankly could do it without a conductor. The goal, you know, the purpose of a conductor at a professional level is to provide artistic direction. So you do less things like beating a four pattern and cueing people because they frankly know how to do that. And you spend more time doing an artistic dance to the music and, you know, doing the things when you see a conductor, a really, you know, really good conductor, you know, he you know, looks at the flute player and raises his eyebrow, or, you know, th things like that, you yeah. know, you might laugh at, but they do, you know, a little bit, a little change in your countenance really makes a huge difference in terms of the way the cello plays. And that was a completely different, you know, big change up for me. That's fantastic. That's really cool. So Drew, what did you take away from this whole experience over in London? I, you know, it, I really took away two things. I took away connections. Mm -hmm. You know, the conducting world, people say the music world is small, but the conducting world is infinitesimally small. And, you know, meeting these people, making those connections is honestly just as important as, you know, being a good conductor, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing, um, just a completely n a different look at music. Obviously, I mentioned you were the mix before with the, the unification of movement and music. But, you know, being a great conductor, the difference between a good conductor and a great conductor is your ability to interpret the minutia 
of you know, a half note or a triad and why exactly when you're interpreting that triad, you move your hand ever so slightly to the right as opposed to moving your left hand ever so slightly to the left. You know, just those small artistic decisions that make the world of a difference. That's great. Drew, thank you so much for coming in to talk to me today. And also, can you give us maybe a few of the upcoming DePops dates? Of course. Um, uh, we are on our way to become a, a DePaul-recognized student organization, which means, most importantly, funding, which is good. Coming up, though, March 2nd, we have our second concert. We'll be performing the Harry Potter Suite, excerpts from the Can-Can. That'll be fun. We're doing uh, music from Jurassic Park and uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, as well as The Legend of Zelda. So it'll be a killer concert, March 2nd, 7.30. Be there or be square. All right. Well, thank you so much, Drew. Ah, it's a pleasure. From the student recital hour of Wednesday, December 10th, 2014, Pianist Shiyu Su performs the third movement, Allegro ma non troppo, from the Piano Sonata No. 23, Op. 57, by Ludwig van Beethoven.
Earlier in this episode, we were chatting about the premiere of our opera on Thursday night. And joining me now to talk about it from the orchestral side of things is our orchestra conductor, Orsina Smith. Welcome back. Well, thank you very much. You know, it's not often that one gets a chance to do a Baroque opera. And certainly, this particular composer began his life in the Renaissance and evolved tremendously uh, through his part song writing to be able to experiment with opera. So this new form that had come about is really extraordinary to analyze. And we've had a lot of fun seeing how Raymond Lepard, the former music director of the Indianapolis Symphony, edited this work for which there were not really any extant materials to find a form that would define this really wonderful drama as it went forward, both in musical elements and dramatic elements. So what are the orchestral forces being used? Well, it's strings only. However, with, uh, most, with most of the music is continuo, which is the harpsichord played by John Claude Felter and uh, Professor Eric Edberg playing cello. So that's the fabric that holds the piece together from the beginning to the end. But then there are these orchestral connections or interludes or changes of texture, which really then illuminate the musical idea with the text. And so what other strings is it called upon? Two sections of violins and then split violas mm. um, and cellos and basses. So what happens is that for some of the darker, more threatening materials, you'll have just the low strings mm -hmm. play for long stretches of time. So in some ways, this is easier on the singers, and in some ways, it's a lot harder. It's not as if they're trying to sing over a Verdi opera pit, but on the other hand... There's recitative, mm -hmm. which is a part of this uh, formulation. So how we went about training the singers was to learn things rhythmically as it is seen on the page, and then try to generate the sentence as though they were speaking it as they were singing it. So rhythmically, it has some cohesion that the harpsichordist can follow, and yet it has a dramatic line to it so that there are points of emphasis in the sentence that are also musical points of emphasis that the composer highlights by dramatic uh, cadential material. And so are the strings making adjustments to play in that performance era? No, we are not using any Baroque performance practice, although we talked about it when we initially did the overture in which we were uh, using a different grip. So those are things that we can reference as we're trying to get a lighter sound, but we're not wholeheartedly going into Baroque practice. And so will we hear the orchestra with vibrato, for example? Absolutely. Yes, we and, will. And no vibrato, and muted, ah. actually. So there are some beautiful qualities of sound. And once again, the richness of the low frequency and the middle frequency will give a different overall string sound. Yeah, so this will be really different for our audience that has heard many of our operas in the past. This will be unusual in that the forces of the orchestra are smaller, more focused only on strings, and also that the writing texturally is significantly different. Right. I mean, you can expect long periods of time where just harpsichord will accompany the singers, or harpsichord and cello, and then the orchestra will come in for emphasis at certain places. So the challenge for the orchestral musicians is that they don't play all the time. Right, right. <laughs> so you, I have to keep their attention or I have to warn them that the next passages are coming up mm -hmm. because they just have their little spots on the page. Right. Uh, so it's a very different dynamic. And so the challenge then also is to come in with the right vitality if you've been out of the texture for a long time to either play suavely or more dramatically. So... It's good learning. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many beautiful moments in this opera, and so many great things will be taking place both on stage and in the pit. We look forward to it. 
opens Thursday night at 7.30 with our final performance at 2 p.m. on Sunday. And thanks for coming in to chat about it. Thank you. Also from the Gardner Monteverdi CD, here's scene one of the opera, The Ritornello e pur io torno qui qual linea al centro.
Hi, this is Anna Gatula. Today I'm joined by members of the cast of DePaul Opera's production of The Coronation of Papea, an opera written by Claudio Monteverdi, which premiered in 1642. I have both of my Papeas, so Hannah Gothier. Hi. And Julie Strasser. Hello. And I have an Otone, Yaoze Pierce Gray. Hello. So Hannah, tell us about the plot of Papea. Well, the plot of the coronation of Popea revolves around this woman, Popea, and her quest for ultimate power to be empress of Rome, which at that point in time was the major, major civilization. Mm -hmm. And she does this by seducing the emperor of Rome, Nero, to get him to abandon his current wife and marry her so she can become empress. Oh, okay. So she seduces her way to the top. Yes, she does. And this is a Baroque opera based on a story of ancient Rome. So Julie, tell me some of the struggles you've had trying to embody the character of Popea. Well, definitely finding a very manipulative side of her as well as keeping on the front that she's not manipulative at all in front of Nero. So Mm -hmm. she kind of has two sides. So I think sometimes it's hard to portray both of those at the same time. Would you say that she actually loves Nero or does she love the idea of being empress? I think she is definitely, uh, she definitely doesn't love Nero. She's just doing it for the power. Hmm. Interesting. And Yazid, what is your character's role in all of this? Well, I play Otone. Um, he is a man who's in love with Popea, but she doesn't necessarily love him back. And this kind of puts him through a lot throughout the entire show. He struggles with his love for her and trying to get her back, but also realizing that she's not really the one for him. But there's also a girl, mm-hmm. Drusilla, who is in love with him and him trying to figure out what it is that he really wants in life and mm-hmm. figure out how to do it. And then things happen later on in the show mm-hmm. that is really dramatic. And Spoiler alert! Yeah, but I won't throw that out there okay. and let people know. Would you say that Otone is the villain of the show? I would not say that. Okay. He is definitely not the villain of the show. Yeah, I have a soft spot in my heart for Otone. And he, <laughs> um, he goes through a lot, and he's a really good guy, and all he wants to do is be happy. And that doesn't really work out for him sometimes, and... I feel bad for him, but, you know, Mm -hmm. you let the audience make their own interpretations of these characters on the stage. Well, we don't have a Nero here, so I'll go ahead and venture to say that Nero is perhaps the villain of the show. I was always thinking that Popeye is the villain. Yeah, Yeah. I I would say Popeye is the villain in this this piece. Um, She doesn't do great things for people, and being Otone really just understanding that relationship between the two of them is kind of like, wow, he's trying and you're not wanting it. Well, I'm going to argue that Monteverdi is trying to portray what it means to be a good ruler. Because in Monteverdi's time, uh, Machiavelli had just come out with The Prince. So that was a huge publication about what it means to to have the love and the fear of the people you rule over. But Nero has neither the love nor the fear of the people he rules over because He rules his people using emotions, not rational logic. He lets himself be guided by his emotions and rule over his emotions. And as the the legend of Nero goes, he is the emperor that let Rome burn while he played the violin on the outskirts watching Rome burn. 
And that has a lot to do with him using his emotions to drive his power instead of logic and reason. That's, so that's my argument. That's interesting. I could understand that completely. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But I, I do like the Pepeas we have here, their portrayal of being the evil, conniving femme fatales, if you will. <laughs> I think it's very cool to watch both of them on the stage because both of them have different approaches to the character, which is very interesting, mm-hmm. but they both work so well and... I find that to be really exciting to see their portrayal and see the different ideas be presented on stage. Great. And Popea is opening Thursday, February 5th at 7.30 p.m. And it will play that Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. And it will have a matinee on Sunday at 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Yes. Well, thanks, guys, for joining me. And good luck with the production. Of course. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yes. Joining me is our operations manager and our 21st century musician graduate intern, Stephen Linville and Alec Ogerstrom. Welcome. Thanks. Hi, thank you. And we're here to chat about some exciting news that just went live last week, the launch of 21cm.org. So exactly what is it? A huge undertaking. We've got this amazing website that we've been really crafting for about the past year now that's evolved into... What is essentially an online magazine, so we feature different articles monthly, but it also is constantly changing in that we have a guide section where Mm -hmm. there are going to be featured events all over the world. We have several categories within the guide section, so things like innovators, someone who's doing something interesting with technology, premieres of various new works, things of that nature, as well as a pop section, which is people, organizations, and projects. And every month we've got a different curator for that section. And people kind of vote it up and down. And they can vote it up and down. And so at the end of 2015 in December, we're going to have our top pop pick of the year. And we also have a collaborative and workspace kind of place. Yes, it's called The Hub, and it's a place where you can be a member, create a profile, whether it's for you as an individual musician or for your ensemble or group, and you can collaborate with other people in this space to create projects, find out what other people are doing, look at samples of their works, and really try to find out what everyone is doing all over the world and what new 21st century musician type things are happening. Yeah, I was looking on the hub just this morning at some of the really cool featured artists, and there's some really great people on that already. It's really coming to life. So anybody can just join? Yes, if you go to 21cm.org, you can join the mailing list to get the newsletters, or you can create a member profile on the hub. It's a short sign-up process, but then you have some freedom to put your own links up there, to put your own audio examples or video examples, photos, all kinds of different things, and then start going through and liking other people's projects and visiting their profiles. So there's a couple of things I noticed that were pretty interesting. Essa Pekasalanen, who was just chosen as the uh, New York Philharmonic composer in residence. Uh, He's featured in an article there written by uh, one of the writers from the New York Times, or the LA Times, I believe, in that case. And then there's a lot of great information about different composers there. There's an interview we did on Music for Life with Caroline Shaw, who uh, just won the Pulitzer Prize recently, and just a wonderful lady and great composer. But I'm really taken by some of these posted profiles on the hub so you've seen a lot of them Alec. have you seen something really cool there you like yeah well one of the ones that i was super excited by was the founders group mm-hmm. i had never heard of founders and just started kind of perusing their stuff and they're this great kind of 
I don't even know what you would call them, but it's got this great acoustic but string vibe. I love that when we're looking at new music and we go, I don't even know, I what, don't to even ca- know what to don't, call I it. I can't categorize right. that. And there's so much of that that's happening in the 21st century musician. Yeah. So they're great. And they're promoting kind of their album launch, which is going to be coming out probably in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. They gave us a sneak peek of a couple of new pieces, which yeah, is was, so exciting. Yeah. Some really cool mm-hmm. music in there. And, you know, interestingly, so that, so those guys are all over the place. I mean, they're, they're right. in a, as is often the case with 21st century musicians, they're in more than one group. But what's interesting about those guys is that the trumpet player actually used to be in the Canadian From Brass. From Canadian Brass. Well, he plays piano in Founders <laughs> and composes. Well, you're watching and you say, oh, who's that? And, oh, surprise, he was this prodigy of a trumpet player when he was 20, <laughs> and now he does this. And What about you, Stephen? Who have you seen on the Hub that's got you going? It's really exciting, actually, to see that every day there's somebody new on the Hub. Recently, Maya Beiser, who was actually coming to DePaul, joined the Hub, and I'm so excited to see her concert, just to watch some of her videos from the TED Talks and things like that where she's playing the cello and then there's a video of her playing the cello and she's playing a duet with herself and then a trio and then a quartet. So I'm both excited to see her on the hub and to see what new things she's doing and to have her actually come to DePaul and present that sort of work here. Yeah, that's been really the fun of it for me is that, you know, every time I come on to the hub, I see somebody else has come on and they've launched a profile and then I dig into their work a little bit and listen to their music. And a lot of times, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't even know how to categorize. I don't know what this, (laughs) what do you call this? I'm not even sure. All I know is that I like it. It kind of makes a great wedding between the magazine side and 21cm.org side of the house, which is bringing a lot of really cutting edge stuff right to the fore. And then the hub side, which is a little less formal and throw up there and see what sticks. And it's kind of Facebook for 21st century musicians. And it's really actually exciting. In the past few days, I've been getting emails saying, so-and-so has liked your video on the hub. And I'm like, I have no idea who that is. Somebody's looking at me. (laughs) Right. It's growing all the time. So you can go to 21cm.org. On there, you'll see all of the links to the regular pages within 21cm.org. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the circle to join the hub. We hope that you'll come on and like a lot of the media there and vote for your pop pick. And uh, then at the end of the year, we'll see who, who the winner of all of that is. I understand we've got some great guest curators in store and some neat articles. And we'll be launching 21CMU next month, which includes a lot of videos. In fact, the one we have there teasing now, I really love. You guys did that when... We did when Trio Globo was here. Yeah. yeah. So there's Howard Levy taking a diatonic harmonica and <laughs> playing it chromatically. I love right. it. So be sure to check it out at 21CMU. Oregon. Thanks for coming to the chat about it. Thank you. From the String Chamber Music Recital of December 10th, 2014, here are violinists Lindsay Sullivan and Allison Imata, violist Tyler Huff, and cellist Peter Lockman performing the first movement, Un poco andante, allegro molto ed agitato, from String Quartet No. 1 in G minor, Opus 27, by Edvard Grieg. Thank you. 
We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Music for Life. We love hearing from listeners. You can contact us by emailing musicforlife at depaw.edu. We're also on Facebook at DePaul Music for Life, and you can subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching there for DePaul Music for Life. Our student producers are Anna Gatdula, Matt Skiva, Burke Stanton, Rachel Amalfitano, Hannah Gavier, and Caleb Denny. Our 21CM graduate intern is Elika Oferstrom. Veronica Pedrel is our online editor, and our show is produced by Matthew Champagne in the Judson and Joyce Green Center for the Performing Arts at DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana. I'm Mark McCoy, Dean of the School of Music. Thank you for listening to our show. Keep music in your life and have a great week.
It's music for life. 